be back in the book of Ephesians. Um, and just to give you an update of where we are, uh, we were in the book of Ephesians throughout the summer, uh, walking through the book of Ephesians. And what we wanted to do at the beginning of the fall as students came back is kind of give you a, hey, this is where we've been in the book of, of Ephesians, uh, a little bit of a summary, as well as a, hey, this is who City Hope is. And so we wanted to walk through our mission statement, a diverse people saved by Jesus, centered on Jesus, and sent by Jesus to extend the hope and fellowship of God to our, uh, to our city. And we want to walk through that uh, using the book of Ephesians uh, to showcase why we believe God has called us to be that. And so we started with a diverse people saved by Jesus, and then I was gone for three weeks. So we're picking it back up with a diverse people centered on Jesus. Uh, so we're going to be back in that. And then next week we'll finish a diverse people sent by Jesus, Lord willing. And then we will finish through the book of Ephesians. Uh, we were just at the beginning of chapter five or midway through chapter five. So we'll pick back up in a couple of weeks uh, with chapter five again in the book of Ephesians. So today we want to look at what does it mean for us as a church to be a diverse people centered on Jesus? What what, what do you think of when you think of centered on Jesus, a diverse people centered on Jesus? What is it that comes to mind? What do you think we mean by that? Well, I hope that you would get from being involved in City Hope at any length of time that we are going to talk about Jesus a whole bunch. That's the thing we're going to talk about. That's the person we're going to talk about, or the person we're going to focus on, the person we're going to center ourselves on. And often when we think of being centered on Jesus, we think about what does it mean for us to grow in discipleship of Jesus? What does it mean for us to be followers of Jesus? And how do we grow in that? How do we grow to be more like Christ? And that's what it means for us to be centered on Jesus. And so what I want to do this morning is to look at how do we do that? What does it mean for us to do that together as God's people? So we're going to be in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles or your uh, smartphones open uh, in your Bible app, Ephesians chapter 4. And and I want to begin with kind of the goal of being centered on Jesus. Ephesians 4, 14 and 15. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. So the goal that Paul has laid out for the Ephesians, and we believe that God has laid out for us, is to be centered on Jesus, be disciples that are maturing and following Jesus and growing to be more like him, right? Growing in every way more and more like Christ. And growing in those ways in direct contrast to the world around us, which is going to always offer us clever new teaching. Right? What does Paul say? We will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Boy, that is rampant everywhere. Lies so clever that they sound like the truth. It's so easy for us to be deceived in one way or the other from the world or even from within the church in false teaching that propagates itself throughout the church. That sounds like the truth. It sounds really good. 
but it's really a lie. Now, how am I to tell what that is? How am I to be this mature disciple of Jesus? How am I to know when I hear someone teach something, whether or not it's true or false? You know, over the last three weeks, someone else has been in this pulpit. How are you to know what they're saying is true or false? Rather, also, when I'm in this pulpit, how are you to know whether what I'm saying is true or false? Just because like, oh, we like Josh, we'll trust him. No, no, no. How are we to actually know that? How are we to be mature enough to discern those things, to understand that? Well, I think our initial reaction to that goal, our knee-jerk reaction, often is very individualistic. The way in which we do that is by, well, we, we've got to read some books to know the truth. We've got to spend our quiet time with the Lord. We've got to know our Bible. We've got to pray. Maybe we should get together one-on-one with another person and they can mentor us. Uh, but, but mostly, we, we just really need to know the word better. We need to pray more. We need to stop sinning personally. We need to kind of deal with all these things by ourselves. And then we'll be more mature. But what if I do that and you don't? Would we be obeying this passage? What if what it means to be centered on Jesus isn't merely about what I do personally, but about what we do corporately? You see, how does Paul envision for this to happen? Well, for us to know that, we need to look at the rest of the context of this passage. So let's back up to beginning of chapter four. Paul says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to live a life worthy of your calling. Now, we got to stop already because English, as we have said a lot, is a dumb language. It does not have a plural you. This is not you personally. This is y'all. I beg y'all to live a life worthy of y'all's calling, right? That's what this is. It's a you plural. So we can't just focus on like, hey, what does this say to me individually? He's speaking to a church. He says, you all have this calling from God. I beg you to live a life worthy of that. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice it says, he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until all 
till we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. And then he goes into where we ended with the, uh, with the goal, right? That we would no longer be immature. This will continue until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. You see, this passage is full of commands to a group of people. For us to be centered on Jesus, it's going to mean not individual Christians growing to be more individually like Christ, but us corporately growing together to be more like Christ together. I want to focus here our attention on verses 11 and 12 for a minute. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Now, Paul speaks in this passage of God giving gifts to his people, right? In 4.7 he says, However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Now, this translation uh, is, is not, it doesn't fit quite. Um, it actually is saying not he has given us a special gift, but he has given us grace. He has given us grace. And so there's a footnote here actually in the uh, NLT of uh, a special gift. Actually, the word is used is grace. He has given us grace. Spiritual gifts are exercised by grace and given by the divine sovereign will of God. Not something that we just like sort of work up to make happen. Right? And and the focus here on gifts from Jesus to his church, we have to recognize that all gifts from the Lord to us come by his grace. If we are to be centered on Jesus, it means we need to be centered on grace. You will only grow to be more like Jesus When you understand deeply the grace of God, all things are given by grace. Your salvation, your growth, your discipleship, all by grace. All because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Now when he says this, he has given each of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Paul has talked about spiritual gifts in other places, right? And normally he launches right into, hey, here's some Gifts. Now, none of those lists of gifts are exhaustive. None of them are exactly the same. We don't think that Paul is saying these are the only gifts of the Spirit to the church. But normally he launches into a a, a word on spiritual gifts. Here he doesn't. Now, I think certainly he has in mind spiritual gifts, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But the focus here is actually on people. Where Paul normally goes into a a, uh, list of gifts, which we don't want to make too much of an argument from silence here. He doesn't do that here. But perhaps with Ephesians' focus on reconciliation and the diversity of God's people as Jew and Gentile are brought together, perhaps the point he is focusing in on is people. Whole persons given by God's grace with God's grace to the church. 
And so when he gets to 11 and 12, he says specifically, these are the gifts Christ gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, a select group of individual Christians called by God and gifted to the church. Now, this group, I don't want to get too bogged down in, okay, so like what are these offices, uh, apostle, evangelist, prophet, uh, pastor, teacher? Basically, what I want to say is this is, the, what Paul has here is in mind is the ordained leaders of the church. That God has gifted men to lead the church, and they're the gift that he has given to the church. But what I want to focus on is not that, but why does God give them to the church? All right. So here's the key point. These gifts are given to the church for a specific purpose. Now, that purpose is very clearly not so that they can be served, so that everyone can devote themselves to a particular teacher. Right. Paul rails against this in other places in First Corinthians. Right. You guys say you follow Paul, you follow Apollos, you follow Peter. And then there's the group that no, no, no we follow Christ. No, 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 they're all divided, right? Because they're focusing on these individuals. So that's not the point of God giving people to the church. It's not for themselves. It's not so that they can be the hero. It's not so that they can be the center. It's also not so that they can do all the work of ministry. Right? God has not gifted this church, me as your pastor, so that I would be the center of everything and you would only listen to me. He also hasn't gifted me to this church so that you guys can show up here and I do all the work, right? Like that's not how this goes. And he very clearly tells us what the purpose is. What does it say? To equip God's people for the work of ministry and for the building up of the church. Now, this is really, really important. The grammatical structure here is not as easily seen in the English as it is in the Greek, but their responsibility, there's two ways you could read this. The responsibility of this group of teachers, right, is uh, to equip God's people to do the work of ministry and to build up the church, like two purposes. Does that make sense, right? Equip God's people to do the work of ministry and build up the church. Or it could be their responsibility is to equip God's people to do the work of ministry and to build up the church. You see the difference there? I believe it's that second one. So I kind of broke it out for you a little bit so you can see. Their responsibility is to equip God's people for what? To do his work and build up the church. So the responsibility for God's people is what? Do his work, build up the church. Does that make sense? You see the difference there? It's subtle there. But the work of this group of people gifted to the church is to equip God's people to do two things. Do the work of ministry. And that word specifically is the same word we get for deacon. And to do uh, and to build up the church. And it's this. I, I think the second one is very important because... If we're actually going to grow together to be like Christ, if we're actually going to mature and be able to discern what is happening in the world and how not to be tossed to and fro, you guys cannot all depend upon me and the elders and the staff to make that happen. 
That's not how that works. My job is to equip you in such a way that my job becomes less and less crucial. That you all love, build up, and care for one another. We've, uh, from the beginning of City Hope, when we first planted City Hope, I've said this from the very beginning. We have to plant City Hope in such a way that if I walk out of this building and get hit by a bus, this thing doesn't shut down. Now, that has been so gloriously displayed the last three weeks because I got COVID and couldn't do anything. And you guys, guess what? This thing didn't shut down. It still happened. It still went on. There's this really uh, difficult thing that happens, particularly within the context of church planting, is so much can be centered around me as the planter because, like, you know, that's my job. And then we can miss some of the bigger pieces of what it means for us to be a community together. My job is to equip you in such a way so that you can do the work of ministry and build up the church. The work of ministry. What is that? Well, it's mercy and justice displayed in our city. Caring for the poor, the orphan, the widow. Now, the way we do that as a church is not by paying Chris. Like, that's not our strategy, right? Right? Chris is our mercy ministry director. But that's not like, oh, we're equipped. So we give so that Chris can go do those things. So we're kind of off the hook, right? We're off the hook of mercy ministry because Chris does it, right? That's our church's strategy, right? No, that is not our strategy. We are to work alongside Chris. Chris is to help facilitate. But the point is for you to be equipped by the elders to go and serve and love your neighbor. Chris can be in a lot of places, but he can't be everywhere. And so you all need to learn how to serve and love your neighbor and extend mercy and justice in our city to the poor, the orphan, the widow, those who are destitute, those who have need. We have to do the work of ministry. Also alongside with the work of ministry is serving in this church. You all have gifts. You all have spiritual gifts. God has gifted you. If you are following Jesus, Jesus gifted you specifically to bless the church. And not only that, I believe this text is really talking about whole persons. So you yourself, if you are a trophy of God's grace, trusting in Jesus and him alone, you are necessary for this body. You are absolutely necessary for this body. By saying you plural, it doesn't eliminate the individual, it means you cannot be isolated and alone. You are needed here. If you don't exercise your gifts in the context of this church, we are missing out and you are missing out. We need all of you to use all your gifts and to bring your whole selves, brokenness and beauty and all to this place. Because that's what God has designed us to do. He has designed this church to function by us exercising our gifts for the benefit of one another. And here's why this is super important. We 
live in a day and age when it's really easy to just not be involved in a church, but still do Christian things. Like we can be totally involved in our city doing lots of kingdom work and not be involved in a local church. And it's even more true in the next section I talk about building up the church, right? You guys have access to amazing Bible teachers on podcasts. Like you don't need to listen to me. Right? If you really want to grow, you know, get your podcast app open and you can find plenty of better teachers. Is that how that's supposed to work? I don't think so. None of them know you. You can learn from them, but they're not folks that you could call. Not folks that are going to show up when life is hard. We are meant to function as a body together. And so the idea that you can grow on your own apart from the local church is really silly. It's just not possible. And it's not what Paul has intended for us. So for us to be fully mature disciples of Jesus and not connected to one another in a local church means we're not fully mature disciples of Jesus. Because Paul sees those two things coming together. This second thing that we are equipped for is the building up of the church. This is what it means for us to be a community. Loving each other deeply, not just here on Sunday morning, but really knowing each other. And here's the scary part of knowing each other. That means you have to open yourself up to being known. You have to open yourself up to, hey, this is who I really am. This is... I mean, we do this in a number of ways, small groups, dinners together. I know this has been super hard over the last year, reaching out to one another, phone calls, prayer, friendships, building real friendships in this place. I know for the last year and a half, this has been incredibly difficult. We have all been isolated from one another. It has been challenging, and it seems intentional from Satan because this is the way he works, right? Isolate someone alone and they will falter in their faith. That's how it works. If you're isolated from one another, you're not going to be firm. You're going to be convinced of clever truths that sound good. They sound like truth, but they're really lies. How are we to know those things? Only when we are together, standing together in this. And it's really hard because we've tried here a ton to balance that great need that we have and also loving our neighbor well in the midst of a global pandemic. Sadly, there was not a class in seminary on that. So it was really unfortunate. There probably will be soon. Um, But like, this is hard. That's why it can't be my job to do it. I want to equip you from God's word so that we figure out how to do that. All the ideas for the work of ministry or the building up of the body of Christ can't come from me, can't come from the staff or the elders. We have great elders and great staff, and then you've got me too. But we're not going to have all the ideas, guys. We just aren't. We need all of us to come together to think through what it means for us to serve one another. So if you have an idea, share it. Let's go for it. 
If you want to serve, you want to care for each other, disciple each other, meet together, all of these things, do it. You don't need to wait for permission. You are equipped to do the work of ministry and to build up the church. You have God's spirit inside you. You are a gift of grace to this body. Just go do it. One of the things I did in uh, prepping for this text is uh, this word here. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. This same word is translated other places as one another. And it's one of my favorite words in the scriptures. And I want to show you just a couple of ways in which the scriptures teach us that we need to love one another. Uh, This is John 13. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You see what he says there? This is incredibly powerful from Jesus. Your love for one another is what will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now, is it good to read books and have apologetic arguments for the existence of God and the person of Jesus? 100%. What will prove to the world that Jesus is real? The way you love each other. You can read all the books in the world and not prove that Jesus is real because you don't love each other. The way that we prove to this city that Jesus is real and doing something miraculous is by the way that you guys love each other. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. Romans 13, 8. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. The freedom of the gospel to not be condemned for your sins, to have your sins fully atoned for. You know what that makes you want to do? Go sin, right? Because Paul says that, right? Don't do this because that's your natural inclination. Oh, wait, I'm free? Wait, I don't have to pay for any of my sins? Sweet, let's go sin. What he says is, no, no, no. What that means is now you get to actually love each other. You now have freedom. You're not concerned with how people are going to look at you. You're not concerned with your own reputation or what people might think if I share this area of my life which is broken. I can really love people I can be fully known and I can know people. Why? Because I'm free in Christ. Because he says, I love you. And if he says, I love you, I don't need to go searching for love. I have it. I can now go give love. And may the Lord make your love for one another and all for all people grow and overflow just as our love for you overflows. It's crazy. All of the letters of the New Testament have some sort of, right, Paul's writing them because there's some sort of issue with the church. But his uh, application, his uh, exhortation to them is largely the same. Love each other. Like this would solve your problems, guys. Love each other. Recognize the divine stamp on each other and that Jesus has bled for you and for that other person, and love each other. 
Dear brothers and sisters, we can't help but thank God for you because your faith is flourishing and your love for one another is growing. When Paul's excited about a church, he says, you're growing in faith, your dependence upon Jesus, and in loving each other. It's really simple to look and see where a church is maturing and growing is where there is deep love for one another and deep reliance upon Jesus. The work of ministry will flow out of that. Absolutely. People will come to know Jesus out of that. Absolutely. The thing that we can really actually in reliance upon the Holy Spirit, go after is loving each other and doing that well. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. This this verse is incredible. Let us think of ways. Don't just wait for me to tell you ways to motivate each other to do good works. You guys, take time to think, how can I motivate my brothers and sisters at City Hope to do good works and to love one another. That means I have to know those people. It means I have to spend time with those people. It means I have to love those people and actually spend time thinking about how to encourage them to do these things. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. Love one another. Now, all of this building up of one another is not an excuse to like not spend time with Jesus personally, right? So I said earlier, what it means to be centered on Jesus isn't just like you and your own devotional time with the Lord, your own prayer time, your own time studying the scriptures, all of those things. That does not mean, hey, don't do that and just hang out together, right? Because if we're to be centered on Jesus together, if we're to show up and disciple one another and make one another more mature and encourage one another, we actually have to spend private time with Jesus apart from each other. Both of those things have to go together. Our individual disciplines, right, actually go together with our corporate activities. Our lack of private holiness will have a corporate effect Upon the church of Christ. If you're that connected to a body, right? What does he say? The point is that we would grow. We talked about this. The goal, no longer immature like children, not tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching, not influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. If you have a part of your body that is ill, the the body is not whole, right? So you can't be like, man, I am just a part of the body and I'm a super strong part of the body. The rest of the body, man, it's terrible. So I guess I'll just keep getting stronger, right? You know, the body of Christ is not to be like the dudes that only uh, go to the gym and only lift their arms, right? And they walk around like this with tiny skinny legs, right? Like just looking silly all the time, right? No, no, no. You got to work the whole body, right? That's not what we're trying to do is just create some superstar Christians and leave everyone else behind. We actually want to say, hey, we are only as strong as a church and mature as a church as our weakest points. 
So what does that mean? We've got to love one another, know one another, invest in one another, come close to one another in love by the grace of God. We live in a world full of people who want to be heroes. But what if we, what we desperately need is to be together, just to be ordinary and yet united together? That's what it means for us to be centered on Jesus. Centered on Jesus does not mean that we as a church exist to make individual Christians into better individual Christians. It means we are seeking to be the body of Christ, which has a head, Jesus. And it means that we all seek to play our part in growing up together into maturity together. Right? That's what he says in 16. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. We can't do this if we're not all in, all of us. We need each other to grow in Christ. And that's what it means for us to come as our whole selves, a diverse group of people with a diverse group of gifts, to center ourselves on Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you because we know that you love the church. 